The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. Um, and I haven't had any caffeine. So I will say this morning, you are not getting a preaching. You're going to get more of a teaching. Um, there was a bunch of us in the room, and I was tying my slip-on shoes, and everybody took a step back, and I realized I didn't have laces, and I was, I was it. So not quite true, but anyway. Um, the... Uh, message this morning is going to be around Palm Sunday. Uh, pa- Palm Sunday is going to be a portion of it, but it's going to be over on the Passover. So, uh, and we don't celebrate the Passover. There's a lot of symbolism there that points to Jesus. And I want us to think about Palm Sunday. It led up to Jesus' triumphal entry in. There's all this accolades. And the cheerleaders are out there. There's confetti coming down. And, and the disciples had to be just, yeah. I'm with this, this, this is my Messiah right here. And just a few days later, uh, less than a week, he's being nailed to a cross. Imagine what they were thinking on that day. They were dispersed. They're bumming at that point. They're weeping. They're in mourning. This great Messiah. But as Matt's song said, God is the one that's in control. God is in the is in control of those who are in control. It may not go exactly the way we want it to go, but bam, Sunday morning happens, and they, they can't believe it. And the Messiah is back, and redemption is nearer than ever before. So anyway, uh, teaching not preaching, I am Josh Bell. So if you have any problems, please, <laughs> please, Please email Josh Bell if you think this really stinks. So now I'm Bob Andrugetti. I've been here a, a long time, as a lot of people know me. Anyway, uh, you're welcome, Josh. <laughs> Got you covered. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> anyway, uh, I've been here a long time. Well, in fact, we were part of the planting team here at, at, at the bridge. And it's just my pleasure to get up here again. This is not what I do, so... Uh, did youth for a lot of years, and now I'm my elder in training because I can't use junior chipmunk elder in training anymore, which is my favorite saying. I like humor. Anyway, um, so I want to introduce, it's God is in the details is, is what it's about, and it's Jesus' Passover. Um, the early church that we know uh, celebrated for hundreds of years, and it wasn't really until about 300 plus A.D., that they replaced it with Easter and Passover. And that came more influence from the European end of the deal. So. But God has always been in the details. I can't stress that. Throughout all of Scripture, there are, dare I say, Easter eggs all over the place. And it's, and it's one of those things that God is amazing that he reads us so well, knows us so well. And, and this... This uh, Holy Spirit that lives in us will reveal nuggets. I, I remember going through Scripture, and uh, yeah, I'd have a- aha moments. 
as I went through Scripture. And he's woven this tapestry, starting from the beginning of time to the end of time. And if you ever look at a tapestry, when you flip it over, there's all these strings all over the place. You can't really make out the picture. That, what I would say, is what happened to the believers on the night that Jesus was sacrificed for us. They were seeing that side. And then after, when Sunday came around, they were able to see the front of that tapestry. And God wove it from the beginning of time to the end of time. It's not done yet. It's, it's, the tapestry is done. God knows where he's going. But that is not... And he's got, an interesting thing, too, as you go through it, and more of Scripture gets revealed to you, and you go, wait a minute, I, I, I read that over here. And you start seeing this interconnectivity of it all. Well, God's got it down to the, the de- so fine a detail, he's got it down to the gnat's eyebrow. And yes, gnats have eyebrows. So anyway, I want to uh, bring up Colossians. Colossians 1.16. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He was there in the beginning. In fact, he's there, been there eternally. And he's going to be there at the end when he comes back for his bride. And that's the church, all those that believe in him. And he, God doesn't ever, ever, ever waste words. Those words in the scripture have meaning, have weight to them. It's, it's a heaviness. It's a depth that sometimes we can't plumb. Uh, and, you know, we, we get surprised. Are we surprised when God wove into the Old Testament through his writers that wrote, wrote in there, all the way from farmers to kings to prophets, yeah, on and on and on, everyday people to the very elite people, he wrote in his words some really important things. He, he, he wrote in there the details that we would need and Holy Spirit would reveal over time that lives in us, the, the comforter, as Jesus refers to him. And... Through all those people, there's always a deeper meaning. Always, always a deeper meaning. You may, you may think you got it, but wait, you, you'll not get it. You'll get part of it uh, as we read through the Bibles. My, my eyes were really opened up a lot of years ago. I was reading through, you know, I'm a little geeky, a lot of years ago. It was shortly after I became a believer. I was reading through uh, Charles Spurgeon and his writings on, his, his sermons really, on uh, Christ in the Old Testament. And that it, this started to pop on me because I had read through the Old Testament several times, the New Testament. It started popping. And you're going, huh, really? It says this back here and, and it's back. Wow. And after that, I followed up a few years later with uh, David Murray wrote a book that is called Jesus on Every Page. And he methodically goes through Jesus on every page, virtually on every page of the Bible. He's there. Why would he not be? This, this God that wove time, matter, space, he, he knows where every doggone atom is. Why would he not weave it into this tapestry that we get to partake in? And I was really taken back with, with the music, too, that uh, he's working. Even when he doesn't seem like he's working, for instance, he's up on the, up on the cross, he's laid behind a stone and buried, he was still working through that whole thing because there was an outcome that he was moving towards. And the same way with the, us in our lives. So anyway, th- those are big ones for me. I really um, was taken aback with David Murray on the festivals and ceremonies. 
He methodically went through those. There's a lot of detail. I'm not going to be able to share all the detail today. Otherwise, we'd be here until about noon. So uh, we have almost a Quaker-type uh, church. So let's, uh, let's take a look at the Passover through Scripture. What does Scripture have to say about it? And I'm going to skip over. There's a lot there on the Exodus. I'm going to skip over a lot of the plagues and everything else. We'll touch on it just a little bit. So Exodus 12. All right, 12, 1 through 17. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So God's rearranging your calendar on them. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor will take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Hmm. A male, hmm, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lamb at twilight, offering up that sacrificial lamb. This is an important part for them back then. Then they shall, and for us today, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts of your door entryway, and the lintel is what goes across the top of the door of the house, in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on a fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, ready to bolt the next morning. God is moving in a mighty way that they particularly couldn't readily see. And you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the, the blood shall be assigned to you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your house. That's important. Leaven symbolized sin. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. It, the lamb, shall be eaten in one house, and it, for, for, verse 46, sorry, uh, shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Important point. 
Passover for the early church, as I said, they celebrated it for a long time. Uh, and then it finally phased out. You had Good Friday and Easter at that point. But we lost some of the ceremony and some of the symbolism that is there that ties in in an intimate way into, especially the disciples. I can't imagine a year after celebrating that Passover, that had to be something. Uh, so the feasts and festivals that surround Passover is Passover. It's a one and done day. And then you have unleavened bread, which is seven days. And then you have Interesting, the thing that, things that make you go, hmm. On the fourth day, they had the, the Feast of First Fruits. Hmm. That, that, that's Easter. Hmm. Funny thing. Um, and that was only when they got into the land. God promised that they were, here's a ceremony I want you to fulfill every year. When you get into the land of Canaan, your first fruits out of the, out of the land, you're to offer it up. So it has had its tie-ins there. I'm going to share a bunch of important points of the ceremony. And, and you can go out there, and I tried searching back as far in the ceremonies as possible to the oldest ones, because there's a lot of traditions that kick into gear that, that were added after this, for sure, uh, to make it more memorial, memorable for them. Uh, but also, there are events that will occur that changes up the feast a bit. Uh, the lamb is still there, sort of, uh, and uh, the wine representing the blood. So, uh, so there, I tried picking, and even there, the oldest traditions, there's subtle differences depending on where you were living in the land at the time, but all tie together, all tie in there. So, let me go through, what, do you, what things do you need for the Passover Seder? And Seder means order. There's an order to it. And the elements of Seder, so scripture, there's scripture for sure. And then there's the Haggadah. And that is the tell, tell, retelling of the story. This is not to be confused with, confused with Haggis. Sorry, Scott McCormick. It's, it's yucky. <laughs> he probably has never had it. But anyway, I just want to say that. There's candles, which I will pull out here now, since they were in a compressed state. There are two candles that they will have at the feast. Don't break them. And there will be uh, a fancy cup. I, we don't have a lot of fancy cups in my house. I had five kids. So this is the, best. This is the only one that survived after all these years. Uh, we we're not smart enough to get pewter, right? Here, take this steel cup. <laughs> you, you only get that or plastic, unbreakable plastic. They broke plastic, believe it or not. So the fancy cup, that's going to be used for the wine. Uh, there's going to be a Seder plate. So uh, I have a real... Seder plate here, it is officially sterling silver plastic. So I picked, picked, picked this baby up for four bucks on Amazon. Yeah, where else can you get it? So I, I believe them when they told me it was, you know, sterling silver. Um, so it has probably about 0.0001% pure. Anyway, uh, you got to get silver from someplace. So that's sil it's Seder plate. And that'll be set up with all the different elements on it. Or, or you can have separate plates. It doesn't matter. Separate bowls. So, and what's the food look like? The food. So you got wine. I don't have wine here. Um, I have the grape juice down here. You can use grape juice. You can use whatever juice you want at that point. And there's something called the Zorora. And it's, in, and it's supposed to represent the sheep shin bone. This is official turkey shin bone because I just couldn't get a lamb shin bone that wasn't broken. This is as good as it gets, folks. So you get, you're getting what you pay for. I get paid to be 
the good part is not necessarily true, but the uh, get paid nothing. Yeah, so that's as good as you get. So anyway, so you have a bone. Why a bone? We'll get there on that one. Uh, you also have the uh, matzah, which is this stuff here, lots of it. So modern-day matzah, back then it would have not looked like that at all. Um, salt water. Salt water is for the, where did I do with it? Here we go. Not in here because I don't trust myself with water, fluids too much, other than that bottle. But it would be salt water that they would have. And that represents the tears of the Israelites at the time. Uh, an egg. Yes, I do have a hard-boiled egg here. Uh, and I hard-boil it. And traditionally within the culture, they would give each other, if something, there was a, uh, somebody passed away, some, uh, some other awful event occurred to them, they would give them a, a hard-boiled egg um, at that point. So this comes into gear in 70 AD. It wasn't on the original. You didn't, we didn't read it. 70 AD is when, uh, when the Romans came through, the 10th Legion came through and, and wiped out the temple. There was no more sacrifices at the temple. So this sort of represents the meat of the, the lamb at that point. And there's other things that they have used over the years in tradi various traditions, but this was about the oldest and actually tied into some of their ceremonies for people that were grieving. Um, and it gets, basically when it gets passed around, everybody gets an egg. Uh, I lay plenty of them. So, uh, but they will cut them up and then they will dip them in, in the salt water. So again, tears, represent the tears, because they can't sacrifice any longer. There isn't a temple. Uh, there is the maror which is the bitter herb. And so it is traditionally uh, like horseradish or something bit, really bitter. So it's usually ground up. They will use it during the ceremony to dip the matzah in there and they will consume it and they will actually shed tears. Now, if you think that horseradish is lame, substitute it with anything else that would cause you to break into sweats and your face become red and tears well in your eye. Knock your socks off. And pray that God will bring back your taste buds at some point in history. So uh, then there is the charoset. And charoset is, is a substance of apple, generally sliced up. Uh, it will have other, uh, uh, what we go? sweet apple, honey, nuts, and a uh, herb mix. And what they will do with that is, that's the only sweet thing out of the whole thing, um, and it basically represents the clay that they were using, the mud that they were using for, to make bricks. And you would go, why is that sweet? Because they were busting their, their, their lives on these things. And it represents because they worked hard, but there was always that hope of redemption, which is sweet at that point. Carpus represents, and I have some parsley here, uh, freshly grown in the house. My wife grows this stuff. And the green color of it, and you can use celery, uh, any number of things, but it, it represents life. It re represents a new beginning. As we see, eventually we're, we're only in third winter right now. We got two more months of this. So then we will get to pre-spring and you'll actually see some things coming out of the ground. So, um, so that's what that represents. And then there's the, the bat, this bag here. And in this bag, it's called the matzatash. Fancy name for matzah means unleavened bread, and tash means bag. I don't bet this, but it has three compartments in it. And there are three compartments with each one has leavened bread in it. 
And we'll get to that. And, and this, is, this baggage generally represents unity. So we'll get to that a little more detail in a bit here. Let's go on here. So what does the ceremony look like? So disclaimer, uh, again, I gave you a disclaimer earlier. Uh, there are some slight differences and variations in them. So I went for the oldest I possibly could, and there's variations within those. So that's the best that I could do. So what they'll do is, before Passover, traditionally, the wife will go through and clean the house of all leaven. As we read in Exodus, get rid of all the leaven. So she would get to clean out all that leaven from the house. Um, and then the man would come through and he would inspect. We should see a problem with this. <laughs> this is not a good thing because I know I will walk in, just to let you know how observant I am, I will walk in the house when I was working and my wife would say, did you notice anything different? And going, oh no, <laughs> not again. I'll be a puddle and be crying in fetal position. And, and the answer, gentlemen, is not always your hair. <laughs> That's a good one, but it doesn't always work. Uh, let it be told. Truth be told. Anyway, so he'll go through and he will inspect. Now, if his wife really likes him, she's going to have something large there that she will deliberately leave behind so that he has purpose in life and may leave a, a large crouton behind. For me, it would be the giant-sized loaves that you get from Sam's Club or someplace like that. I'd go, oh, and even then I'd have a hard time. Uh, anyway, so he would get that. He would have a feather. And then he would have either a spoon or a dish, depending on, on how much uh, his wife is, likes him or doesn't like him. And he would scoot. You're not allowed to touch it because you'll become impure at that point. And there's not enough time left to, become, to go through the purification ritual. So he would scoot that onto this plate or spoon, and then he'd put it into a napkin. Again, don't touch. And he would fold over that napkin. He would either take it down to the synagogue or he would take it out to a bonfire that some friends had in their backyard or himself, and they would burn it up. At that point, he is now certified that, that the house is leaven-free and maybe even GMO-free at that point. So now, now we get to the good stuff. So you're, you're in the evening, sunset has occurred, now the feast begins. And it starts with this. Of all things, the person that kicks it off is the matriarch of the house, the woman. And she will light the Shabbat candles probably straighter than those. She'll light those. And it's, I want you to think about this. It was through the woman came the true light of the world. Not by man, but by God. For any of you kids out there to go, what? Uh, parents, you can talk to them later. You're welcome. Um, and John 8, 12. All right. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That came from Jesus. The matriarch would then go to step two. She's still in control of this whole thing. Just like uh, a, wedding, a Galilean wedding, the woman was really in control of who she going to marry. God had all these little safeguards in there. Matriarch, she, she would then pick up the Bible, or she may pick up the, what's called the Haggadah uh, and the telling, and she will go through and narrate the Exodus story as well as pray. And the prayer is really, really important. And it'll be something like this. There's several prayers given in a Haggadah. I don't own one. 
But this one here in particular, blessed are you, Adonai, king of the universe, who makes us holy through your commandments and commands us to shine the light of Shabbat this Passover. My challenge to you is how well are we shining the light of Christ, the living God, the Holy Spirit, for the people that we come in touch with? We're to be lighthouses. Are we doing that well? That's a challenge. I don't always do it well. The patriarch then, he kicks into gear. Uh, he'll open up with a reading, and then he'll ask one of the kids in the room, if there's a kid or the youngest, to go through the Haggadah, if they're using it, and there's four questions in there, and it basically covers these four topics. Why the Passover sacrifice? And they'll answer. Why the bitter herbs? And they'll answer. Why the unleavened bread? And they'll answer. Why did they eat standing up? And the answer is not because they didn't have chairs. So, anyway. Leader ta then takes the three matzah breads, and I'll place, place them. I pre-placed them because I know that I would, it would take about 20 minutes for me to get these things in here. Um, he'll place them in the, in, in the bag, and it's called the unity bag, the matzatash. And the, the Pharisees believe there's three in here. Kind of an interesting number, huh? And the, the Pharisees, the best answer they have that makes the most logical sense to me anyway is it represents... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they can't answer the question of why the middle one gets broken. They don't know. So their answer is, we don't know. So, so the first matzah, I don't make this stuff up. This is just, I'm just, this is what it was. The first matzah is called the father. Now, that makes some sense with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in that it's Father Abraham had many sons and many sons. Come on, jump in. I'm just kidding. <laughs> See? All right. Got one brave soul here. Uh, the second one, after they take it out and they break it in half, so he'll take it out, and I will take it out too. I will fumble around here to get it out of here. And, and they'll break it in half. And obviously... There's a better part. Not always, but there's a better part. And the better part will then be put into a napkin or a bag. They may have, if they're really fancy, they'll put a bag. Or uh, this is one of the towels I had that I wrapped the glass in, the one glass we got. And they'll wrap it in this, and then they will go and hide it. They will hide it generally under a pillow, which is referred to, and, and if you think of Near Eastern, Middle Eastern cultures, they had pillows and stuff, because they would sleep on the floor for the most part. They would hide it under a pillow, and the pillow was, was, was called the stone. This is Jesus behind the stone. It's amazing. And, and they will hide it, and, and, and they call it its buried state. Really? Uh, and so that would be for later, and we'll get to that a little bit later when they will go and have a hunt for the afkaman. They would call it the afkaman, which is, means the last at that point. All right. Uh, matzah, matzah. Okay. Now, move on to... And, and remember that Jesus' body was, was hidden in the grave for three days. Hmm, interesting. Uh, the stone was rolled away. The pillow rolled away. Somebody finds the pillow. The women... Uh, found him. 
And what they will receive then is the child will receive a great reward. Huh. Kind of interesting, isn't it? The reward that we receive as followers of Christ. So, and, oh, and, oh, and it just happened to happen to occur for Jesus on the day of the first festival of first fruits. The third matzah is, and I can't make this up either, is called the comforter. Huh. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the comforter or helper several times, depending on your translation. So, now the patriarch will take and bless the first cup. Saran wrap. The first cup. And this is called the cup of sanctification, which means to be set apart. If you're sanctified, you're set apart. When you come to know Christ as your Savior and accept him as your Savior, you are sanctified at that point. You may still screw up, but you're still sanctified. He's a loving God. In John 17, 19, all right, it says, And for their sake I, Jesus, consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The, they'll, they'll then take the cup, down the cup, uh, and then they will take salt water. And the salt water, this empty one here, with some crumbs in it, um, will represent salt water, which represents tears. So, and they will pass that around, and they will dip their matzah, broken matzahs, into that. Uh, I'm sorry, they will dip, bad, 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 Robert, the greens into that. And they'll dip it twice. Dip it once, and they'll dip it two, two, second time. You go, what is that for? First time is for all their bondage, years of bondage in Egypt, and the tears that were shed there. Second time is when they pass through the Red Sea. And there were tears there, tears of joy as they moved out of bondage. And we do the same thing. Think about it. When we come to know Jesus, we've been in bondage all these years. Bondage to a bunch of things. And after we become a follower of Christ and accept him as our Lord and Savior, we are now out of bondage. And there's tears at that end, too, of joy, of peace that comes out of it. Anyway, again, the, the, it, the green herb represents life, a new beginning. Jesus went even further, if you think about it, at the Last Supper. He washed his followers' feet. That's a dirty job. Even though we walk around in shoes and stuff, and there are times my feet stink, just to be honest. Um, you don't want, want to be around when I take those babies off, especially if I've gone for a run. Uh, it really stinks. But he's, these guys are walking around in sandals all day long, picking up dust. They were get, getting covered in the dust of their rabbi, Jesus. And there's untold number of other elements in that sand and dirt that animals are passing over. I'll let you think about that. Anyway, the leader then washes his hand again, and he breaks bread, and he dips it into a mix of mayor. Mayor is the horseradish that's ground up. And they traditionally say, lots of bread, lots of matzah, a little bit of the maror. And the maror is, again, hot. And if you want it hotter, knock your socks off. Uh, so, and connected here, Jesus dipped his bread and then indicates who his betrayer is going to be and hands it to them. Talk about a bitter moment at that point. 
Now, the char set comes in. I totally forgot the char set uh, at home. It's in the refrigerator. Uh, but anyway, the char set is next. And this is still under the first cup. Uh, the sweetness takes the bitterness of the bitter herbs away. So they traditionally will say lots of char, uh, char set, a little bit of bread in that. Jesus through his, uh, do I have Romans 6, 14? I can't remember. Guess that. Moving right along. Jesus through his death and resurrection removed the wall of separation. He crushed that wall of separation between us and, and God as believers. Romans 6, 14 says, for sin will have no dominion over you. We still struggle with it, but it will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but are under grace. We're under God's grace. He's got a lot of grace. He's got a lot of patience, especially in my life. Next one is the hard-boiled egg, which I do have a representative for here. And they will then, again, break it open, slice it up a little bit, and they will dip it in the tears or the the uh, salt water. Again, points back to 70 AD when Titus came through with the 10th Legion and totally dismantled the, um, the sanctuary. The, just imagine now, think of Palm Sunday, Jesus up on the cross, died, buried. Just imagine how the disciples were in mourning and hiding at the same time. There's an element of fear there. And at this point in time, they can't see how God is working. How is God going to work through this? This is the end of it all. I'm sure some of them were thinking, you know, we spent three years with Jesus. I mean, he left us with a lot of good things, but boy, what now? In John 20, 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were because they were in fear of the Jews, that they would be next. And shortly after this, Jesus walks in to them. The second cup, they will offer up a second cup, and that's a cup of plagues. Um, they don't drink it yet. They will go through the plagues. Got the plagues? All right, got the plagues. You got blood, frogs, lice, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and death of the firstborn. The first nine of those, the Jews, where they were living, the Israelites, where they were living, were not touched by any of those. The rest of Egypt was, but the Israelites were not. The last one, and only the last one, they had to make, put a sign on their doorpost that they were a follower of Christ. And sometimes we'll go through, we'll, as Christ believers, we're going to go through some dark times. Uh, it's going to be difficult at times. Um, but death has passed over us. Eternal death has passed over us. We have life in Christ. Eternal life. Wrap your mind around eternity. And if you can figure that out, let me know because I'm stuck in time. Um, here I am, three-dimensional three dimensional and fourth dimension being time. I'm stuck in that. I can't, there's a lot of regrets I wish I could go back and redo. I can only move forward on those things. And Christ said he'd follow us through those things. So... Anyway, uh, on the fourth day of the Passover, uh, they would, uh, four days in, they would examine the, 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 uh, the lamb. If they found no, uh, no uh, blemishes on the, on the lamb, uh, they would then uh, sacrifice the lamb. They had a place to go to sacrifice it, and then they would bring the lamb back and consume it, sprinkle doorposts. Jesus was examined by Pilate, Herod, 
Annas and Caiaphas. Interesting. Tie in there. And Pilate said it really, really well in Luke 23, 4. I find no guilt in this man. Pilate had his other shortcomings, but he found no guilt. Again, God is in control of who is in control. He was in control of Pilate and doing exactly what he was supposed to do. Jesus said he's the Lamb of, the world, uh, Lamb of God. In John 1.29, John the Baptist says this. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was our sacrifice. He was the Lamb. One time, one and done. Every year the Israelites would have to offer up a lamb. Every year. And they had other sacrifices throughout the year. We're done. We're free of all that. Imagine what your house would stink like if you had to watch a lamb for four days. Um, anyway, 1 Peter 1.19 says this, But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was sacrificed for us. And he's the bread of life. John 6.35 says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And this, what really popped out to me was when they were further in the Exodus, they're out in the wilderness, and God provides manna, bread-like substance, and he provides water. But Jesus is talking about eternal water, eternal life. We'll never hunger again. Anyway, uh, the no broken bones part of it. Uh, you get that in Exodus, and also John 19, 31, and other places talk about it. Typically, the Roman soldiers, if they were sacrificing, remember, this is the Passover. It's coming. The Pharisees wanted them off the cross before it got to the time that they would celebrate the Passover meal. They would go along, and if they were still alive, they would, to hasten their death, they would break their shin bones because you could no longer push up. I won't get into the gruesome details of it, but they needed their legs underneath them to push up to get a breath of air. Studies have shown that somebody hanging there without being able to push up, they've had to resuscitate a number of people to see how long. Anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes is the longest you can last on a cross without being able to push up and get a breath of air. So they go along and they would break the shin bones and they got to Jesus and he was already dead. To make sure, they took a spear and speared into his right lung, underneath the bones, into the right lung. What came out? was water and blood. The Romans were amazingly good at killing people and knew when they were dead. We didn't realize it until the 1800s when we, when we discovered that phenomenon. Before that, we were saying, this is Jesus the living water and Jesus' blood. Well, he shed a lot of blood back when he was being scourged. In fact, very few people would make it out of being scourged. It was that bad. Organs were starting to fail by that time. And he had to carry a cross out and had trouble with that. But when they, when they speared them, it's something called the mortis triad. You can look it up. That is a definite side, sign that that person is dead and they're already starting to decay at that point. Everything's shut down. So that was, he was dead. A swoon theory would say, well, maybe he just faked death. and No, he was dead. That just proved it in 1800. So anyway... Uh, and again, on the scourging and loss of blood, he lost a ton of blood being scourged. Just a ton of death. Um, anyway, everyone who recites each plague would then 
dip their finger in their cup of wine, only their fingers because you don't want it, your neighbor's fingers, in there, and they would, they, they would drip for each one of the plagues, the blood, the, you know, just keep on going down all the way to the, the death of the firstborn at that point. Everyone would recite it and go through that. Now the leader raises his second cup, which he stuck his fingers in, uh, and invites everyone to recite the halal. The halal is, and they'll cite, and recite the first part of a, a halal, which is Psalm 113 and 114. They'll cite that, and then they'll drink. Now, all the food stuff has been gone through, and um, they will then remove some of that, and then the feast begins. And they're going to have a typical... Uh, Near Eastern festival, and you'll eat so much food that they've eaten probably more than their take and double their weight by that time. So, and this is where the kids will go off to locate the afkaman. Where is it at? It's under a pillow. We know that. And it's somewhere in the house. And the kid that finds it gets the great reward at that point. And then the third cup of the redemption they will drink. Redemption. Kind of fun. They were redeemed out of Egypt, and we've been redeemed from death because of Christ's blood for us. Uh, Jesus, uh, they redeemed for us. Jesus stood up and took the bread and said in Luke twenty two nineteen, "This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." Hey, we're going to get a chance to do that a little bit a little bit later. Jesus then took the third cup and blessed it and said. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jeremiah 31. Oh, I did have those. Great. For this is the covenant that I will make with you, the house of Israel, after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them through the Holy Spirit. And I will write it on their hearts through the Holy Spirit. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. The comforter. The sealer is there. Folks, those that have called on Jesus, we're now free. And we should get excited about that, that we are free, set free from death. We're going to be gazing in the face of an eternal God all our days when he calls us home. Hallelujah. And hallelujah means praise Yahweh. Praise Yah. Praise him. The fourth cup, cup of praise. Hmm, funny thing fourth day. Everyone recites the second part of the halal, and halal it means praise. It's Psalm 115 and 118. At the end, they will sing and drink the fourth cup of praise. Jesus, the fourth cup was not drank. He did not drink that fourth cup. According to Matthew 26, 30, they sang a hymn, probably the halal, and then went out to the Mount of Olives. Matthew 26, 29 says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit, the vine, until that day when I drink it anew with you and my Father's kingdom. Revelation 19, 9 says this, An angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. We're the bride of Christ. We're going to partake. When he calls us home, when he completes time, space, we're going to be with him and we're going to be married to him. This is beautiful union with him and our perfected bodies. Wrap your mind around that one where we won't have a desire to sin. 
we're going to be there and celebrate this feast with him, our God, our Lord, our Savior. John 14, 3 through 10 says this, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, may, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The empty seat, there's an empty seat at the table of a typical Seder, and it has a, has a wine glass uh, in front of it. And it's the, the seat of Elijah, because they believe that Elijah's got to come first before the Messiah comes. So a kid will go to the door, he'll open the door, and look for Elijah. If Elijah's at the door, they will invite him in, and they know that the Messiah is close at that point. So if they don't find it, then it's, we'll wait until next year. Matthew eleven thirteen through 14, it says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John the Baptist. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. In the spirit of Elijah, John the Baptist came. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover feast. It's done. We can still celebrate it and look at the symbolism and be in wonder and awe and wonder what happened there. The blood, the not broken bones. Hmm. The lamb was perfect, imperfect sacrifice when they compared to Jesus. So they would have to sacrifice it over and over again. And they, people were imperfect. And we still aren't perfect. But they have the Holy Spirit living in us. Just imagine how the disciples celebrated the Passover one year later as they were going through the Passover and integrating in what Christ had done for them. Their passion must have overflowed. The praise must have been through the roof. God's in the details. He's in the nitty-gritty stuff. He's always has, always has been, always will be. I pray that God will give you the wonder and the hunger to search his word and allow his spirit to reveal his truth to you. Honestly, do that. I dare say that you will be amazed and encouraged as you find his Easter eggs in Scripture. Through his spirit, helping us along the way, just encouraging us along the way, and opening our eyes to the wonder of this almighty, eternal God. I will end us there. And i got to look at the... I've forgotten the... I will say... Communion. Okay, cool. Let me go to communion first, and then we're going to invite the kids in secondarily. So, um, remember that through Scripture, God reveals this ceremony. Jesus gave to his bride, the church, a memorial celebration hmm, to observe until he returns to establish his kingdom on earth. It's commonly referred to as communion. Uh, Jesus was celebrating Passover with his closest disciples, the apostles. He changed up the Passover slightly, didn't take the fourth cup and a few other things. Now, as they were eating, Jesus broke bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's house. If you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior, we ask that you not uh, partake in this. Um, but if you want to know more, uh, I'd like to have the elders stand up, please. Any prayer people? Uh, please stand up. Amy? <laughs> Jeff? Please stand up also. Hunt these folks down. Uh, if you want to know more, if you want to really get into that close relationship, that eternal relationship with Christ, because Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I, I, have, a, I have a dirt simple way I go about it. Admit that you've sinned. I've been a sinner, I've screwed up, uh, still struggle with that, I personally, uh, but I'm covered in his blood. Believe in Jesus, and then confess that Jesus to the Lord. I'd like you all to take a minute here, just to confess anything, even, even as believers, just things that are heavy on your heart, confess those up for about a minute here. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.